This podcast is brought to you by On Track Studio. Hello and welcome to the Stillness Everyday Podcast. My name is Herodotos and this podcast exists to help you find stillness in all aspects of your life, in finance, in health, in mindset and in your relationships. I created this business because I believe that if you can develop the ability to find stillness in your mind, you will learn to create harmony in all aspects of your life. Find us at Stillness Every Day on social media or stillnesseveryday.com. A lot of people ask me how they can get started with meditating. Now, my first experience with meditation was at a Vipassana retreat, which is 10 days in silence. But I understand this isn't practical for most people. That's why we created the Stillness Everyday Journal. This journal has a range of prompts, which allow you to not only create your day, but reflect on your day at the end of it. The journal also has a range of audible meditations, which are perfect for beginners. Check out stillnesseveryday.com. Thank you and welcome to the podcast. I want to start by giving yourself a bit of a background my audience so they know where you've come from to what you're currently doing yeah cool so what i'm doing at the moment i kind of label myself as a a therapist because it gives people you know like a broader range to the aspect of what i might be able to offer but truly what i am at the deepest level is really a physicist that's kind of what i work within in the world of language and physics so everything is based in language and words everything so our whole association with the world needs words in order to be able to understand it so yes we have feelings and we have sensation and there's distance and there's different types of language mathematics is one of them as well but all of those have to have a meaning that predated based in words like a a number seven has to have the number seven or the sorry the word seven to attribute to a value right so this is what i do in order to be able to help people heal so it's more in the world of physics, but therapy is more like the therapeutic approach to it, but it's definitely not in the modern world of therapy, like psychology or psychiatry or, you know, typical coaching or anything like that. I'm not a huge fan of those worlds because they're fairly limited in the way that they approach things. So how I really unlock people is what presents itself is in the form of patterns through language. And so in the subconscious, there's these, you know, specific programs that we run within and it's essentially like the framework of the ego right so the ego really was originally for survival which was like if a lion's chasing me or if i need to protect my woman and children back in like you know ancient days of hunter gatherer type of living as we've become more evolved and intelligent the ego has become more evolved and intelligent and the ego is a collector of programs and as our society's changed and become more evolved it's become more evolved to maintain its own survival. The ego is all around limitation, all around scarcity, all around fear, because it's like the inner child. And so these events switch these programs on when we're really little, and then they operate in the blind spot. So they're a negative-based program like I'm not enough is one of them. But what it'll do is I'm not enough or how to have a set of thoughts that go with it, which shoot up into the conscious mind to keep you identifying the root program. So as an example, because it's negation, if I say, Rod, don't think about a red car, what do you think about? A red car. But you're not thinking about me saying the words, don't think about a red car. You'll think about the image of a red car. This is how the ego hides it away. So for I'm not enough, it might be like, oh, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm too young. I'm too old, whatever, right? So it's going to shoot up thoughts to keep you away from the actual 
root program. So once you understand the code, which is the root programming, like I'm not enough, it'll start to dissolve. Now, quite often when I get asked about this, when people go, well, I know I'm in, I'm not enough. Why doesn't it, why doesn't it go away? It's like, because you're not in, I'm not enough. Most people think that they're in it, but they're not. So then they're trying to break free from a prison they're not even in. Like, good luck with that. It doesn't work. So this is how I really work. And a lot of traditional- Can you elaborate on that, that bit a little bit more? Yeah. So there's 12 programs. So typically there are going to be the ones that people are in and not going to be, I'm not enough. But I'm not enough is kind of like a, a catch-all for everyone's problems of inadequacy, right? But there's not. Like someone that's feeling a sense of I'm not enough might be feeling fear. Now, I'm not enough is going to be based in the past, right? It's because it's a sense of inadequacy. You can only feel I'm not enough relative to the past and previous experiences. You can't feel I'm not enough about something you're scared about, right? Like there might be you know, rejection issues, but it's because you've been rejected in the past and then you don't want to relive that in the future. So there's an insecurity issue, which is not, I'm not enough, right? I'm not enough is going to be, you know, a sense of worthlessness or a sense of inadequacy around that. So when people go to therapy, you know, or coaches, they'll try to get them out of I'm not enough by using affirmations. So an affirmation will be writing 500 times a day, I'm enough. But that's reactive in its nature. So what it's doing is if I'm writing, I'm enough 500 times, it's only strengthening the fact I'm not enough because if I believed I was enough, I wouldn't have to write it. You know, like you're not getting up every day saying my name's Rod, I'm a human being because you don't need to do that. You don't need to have that conversation with yourself. So positive yeah. affirmations and reaction to a negation, but I use personal affirmations, which are a sense of truth to the human being. So as an example, there's a deep program of there's something wrong with me, right? That's a deep one, okay? Now, the way that people will get their thoughts going on around this will be like, oh, I'm not 100%, I'm not feeling good, whatever, right? Now, the way through that, I worked with a woman that um, she had a vaccine injury like 15 years ago, and she was um, diagnosed with Lyme's disease, which is typically from a tick. Now, I, we got into it and we got into the program, but we looked at the thoughts that she said and it was, I'm not 100%, right? This is what she's walking around for 10 years saying. Now, if you're walking around saying I'm not 100% every day for 10 years, guess how you're going to feel? Surprisingly, not 100%. So what I got her to do was to say a personal truth statement, which my current state is one of optimal vitality which is a truth to the body. That's truth to her mind. She might not feel as good as she used to, but her current state is one of the optimum level that she's at. Within three months, her symptoms started to dissipate because we saw the program, which was to confirm that she's that there's something wrong with her. And then she's going around saying, I'm not 100%, reinforces it. And then the way through that is to see it, the awareness, and to realize at that moment that she actually is in the best health that's available to her based on a current psychological condition. So as an example, like with um, autoimmune issues, in Western medicine, autoimmune issues, the body attacks itself. And that's not true. The autoimmune typically that's showing up is because the person is psychologically attacking themselves, the body will reflect that. You know, it's like, I use the metaphor to describe it as like a storm coming in over the water. So if a storm's very violent, chaotic, turbulent like lots of energy in it as it comes over the ocean the ocean's going to be a direct correlation or reflection of the energy that the storm has produced 
So what happens to the body of water? It becomes chaotic, turbulent. It becomes disturbed. It becomes chaos. That's your mind with your body, right? The body is just a reflection of the mind. So they're one in the same. So that's how I work within this realm these days. How I came to that was I was in the investment world and I wanted to be a really good salesman. So I was in the financial investment world. And over time, as I made more and more phone calls, what I was picking up on was patterns in the way that people would speak. It was like I was talking to robots. I could tell what someone was going to say three sentences before they were going to say it to even like the rate of breathing, their lip movements, the way they'd scratch or touch themselves and things like that. And I subconsciously started to develop a foundation for understanding language patterns where people didn't trust or where they were greedy or whether there was a fear of loss. And so it would be like, Someone would go like say something and I'd be, they'd go silent. And I'm like, he doesn't like it. I know it. He'd go, yeah, I don't like it. Or I'd be like, oh, he likes it based on the way they breathe. Usually if someone's like, doesn't like, it'll be a long, slow exhale. It's like, so would you like to invest? And they're like, oh, I don't like it. But like, if someone likes it, they'll go like, they'll like breathe in a small gasp, like really subtle. I'm exaggerating it now, but they'll be like, so what do you think? And they're like, they hold their breath and they're like, I like it. And, you know, so this was where I started to develop this foundation. The difference was I essentially used this skill to manipulate people to sell them investments they didn't need. Right. And then unbeknownst to me, it transferred into healing trauma. And I had no idea this was being set up. And when I got out of the investment world, because I couldn't do it anymore, I went on a journey to discover my purpose. I realized that the same foundation that I'd been working on for eight, 10 years translated in the opposite that could actually heal people so yeah. that's kind of myself my my story and how i work in a in a nutshell it's very interesting to me because i come from um the past meditation background mm-hmm. and i'm trying to relate how you're healing with the the use of words which i'm very interested in quantum um physics but the idea of just observing sensations as they arise on your body and not reacting to them mm-hmm. is more of the same i suppose in some way because you know, the good or bad sensation comes up and you remain equanimous to whatever training and conditioning your unconscious mind not to react to situations in life. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Do you meditate? No, all? I don't meditate really anymore. Like I do breath work because it just, it's good for the nervous system me to clear out energy. The difference is like, you know, as there's the saying, all roads lead to Rome, right? Which means like we can get there through different methods. And so now, I know Vipassana, the difference is, is you see a lot of people doing Vipassana and it's like 10, 20, 30 years, some people have to do it for before they have a breakthrough. I just oh, use, really? yeah, like a lot of people, I've worked with meditators that have been meditating for 20 years and they'll have a sense of calm and they'll be good, but they won't have unlocked the program. So they're still meditating, you know. I know one yeah. guy still does uh, Vipassana meditation for two hours a day, you know, and he's been doing it for 20 years because it, it's still management, right? Whereas... Yeah. When I worked with him, I was like, well, let's just unlock the programs. Now he doesn't need to meditate anymore, you know, because it's like once you open that feelings and the thoughts that come up with it, then start to dissolve and disintegrate, depending on the level of trauma that someone experiences, you know, someone that's severely traumatized. You're, it's like, as an example, cirrhosis of the liver, like that liver is going to be too far gone to go back to its original state. So when someone's really traumatized in their nervous system, it can be difficult to get them back to what they were like prior to the nervous system because they might have had a mother that was on drugs when she gave birth to them. And then throughout their life, they were abused and bashed and sexually traumatized. So 
people like that are going to have a harder time getting back to ground zero. But to pay, it's always dependent on the person as well. But, you know, if meditation gets you there, fantastic. You know, if breath work does, if ice baths do, if, you know, embodiment dancing, it doesn't really matter. Like I said, all roads lead to Rome, which is a path of self-discovery. Mm, I've always, yeah, I've always said this, especially with, again, with the kind of Christian or religious, um, organized religious argument of my way or the highway. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, ayahuasca ceremonies might be your thing, but I think this at this in the same token, like you said, this Vipassana meditator, I did an ayahuasca ceremony, second time I've ever done it, but there was people, I get the impression when I'm there that there's these people that are coming back and back every single time. And I spoke to a few people and I'm kind of like, are you here for a reason? Are you here for the high? Yeah. Like, are you yeah, here to unlock anything? Or? Yeah. That's the delusion of it. It's a new religion. You yeah. know, I've done it a couple of times. It did more damage than good to me. Like it was a, it was a very traumatic experience for me. It, my energetic field was kept open for, you know, months later, I went into insane healings, like on the floor of my kitchen where I was shaking and I had drool coming out of my mouth, like just like that. Right. Because my energetic yeah. field wasn't closed off properly. I did it here in Australia. And so it's kind of like, it's no disrespect to the medicine. I think in the right opportunity in peru or in the andes or you know in the amazon if you get the right shaman they're the actual shamans not fucking rock stars here that think they're shamans that are facilitators that have done it twice and then they call themselves a shaman you know so and i agree with you like are some people there for the high in the community and the delusion or are they actually there to do the healing work because i feel if you're there to do the healing work you should go on a process of integration rather than slamming six cups every time you go and sitting every second week like there's just, you know, there's no integration to that. And yeah, I agree with you on that big time. So I really want to focus the um, podcast on relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I think you said something about relationships are a, what are they? They're a healing container? Container for healing. I was just working with a guy this morning and it's like, we all, a lot of people, the big mis like the, the misconception around it all is that relationships are to get love. They're not, they're a journey of love but they're for healing, right? They're for their containers for healing. That's why the most difficult relationships are often the most profound in their transformative qualities, right? And so when we go into it, it's like, this is an opportunity for healing. This is an opportunity for healing. It becomes a different viewpoint with which we see the container of the relationship. And so that's the way that I try to embody people to look at it. But again, it comes back to the person's level of trauma and distrust and what's happened in the relationship too as to whether that can be obtained and it takes two real committed people to get to that point so if we look at relationships as opportunities for healing and containers for healing because there's only ever one relationship you ever truly have that's a relationship with yourself that's it so it's about the relationship with yourself and if you don't heal it through one container you're just going to bring it in somewhere else and then try have to go through it again you know, so that's the way that I view relationships. We are here in relationships to finish the unfinished business with the caretaker that we have unfinished business with. So on that note, would you say that the toxic relationships are, are there for a reason presenting themselves for you to change? Like, have you drawn that into your vibration? 100%. It's, I don't like the word toxic. I know it's, we use it a lot these days, like toxic masculinity is a big term that's out there. Toxic femininity, it's immature. It's just immature aspects in the relationship. That's why you see the immature parts of relationship are little scraps over stupid shit, right? I've been there, 
right? Like it can still happen for me sometimes, but I catch it before it happens. And it's like, it's about being aware of what you used to be like versus where you are now. And the true healing will be like, well, that doesn't affect me anymore. That doesn't affect me. And even if it does, there's not a huge reaction to it anymore, right? So I like to look at it from a point of, they're not the most toxic relationships. They're the most immature because we're two wounded little children that are going, see me, hear me, love me, understand me. And that's pushing up against the other person. Then the other person's going like this. And they're just in a relationship with their own fears and expectations. That's it. And then they project that onto the other person, making them responsible for it. This is the Disneyfication of romance. Come and save me. You're the one, Jerry Maguire, that stupid fucking statement, you complete me, which is, you know, reticent in the entire like um, relationship world now. Everyone's looking for someone to save them, you know? And so if there's 7 billion people, 8 billion people on the planet, chasing love that's why no one's really giving it or in satisfying relationships because it's like if you can sit with someone and say this is about me i want to heal this with you i'm committed to this it's going to get tough but as even we can say like you know i even said to my partner yesterday i said if you're annoyed at me say i'm pissed off for you i hate your face but i'll be back in an hour and i still love you right like and that's okay because that's commitment and that's a natural honoring of what we go through as human beings we feel stuff right like we can, we can be pissed off by the people that we love the most and to be okay with that, you know? And so that's the real deep opportunity is to heal the karma, the wounding, the energetic space from as childhood, as children that we've accumulated from our parents and to release that and overcome that. So we can then experience wholeness in the absence of childhood wounding and then be in a real relationship after that. So would you say if you had an immature relationship as such and, you know, arguing, bickering over things all the time, and it ended without the healing internally of that, will you then go and attract that again? Would you believe? Most of the time, yeah. Yeah. Or even if you don't do it in a relationship, you'll get it through a boss or a coworker or something else. Life will present that to you. Life will give that to you and be like, all right, you're running away from yourself again. We're going to have to give it to you somewhere else. It might be like, if you become really needy in a relationship, you'll attract someone in that will leave you so you can see that part and then meet your own needs. Being needy is just you not meeting your own needs. That's all it is, right? And so if that person leaves them and they don't get it, they might get a great job opportunity and then lose their job, right? It might, it'll be something around that. So it may not show up in the form of like, you know, my uh, Luna, my partner is Puerto Rican, very beautiful. It's like, if we were, if we ended up splitting when all the chaos was going on as an example, I'm not, I'm probably not going to go and attract in another beautiful Puerto Rican woman that looks like her. It'll be energetically similar, but yeah. it'll show up and reveal the same things for me. And how important do you think, how can I word this, sex in a relationship? When I interviewed Jay, Jay Malik, he spoke about building a spiritual foundation first, then make sure you have the same worldview before um, you engage sexually or emotionally with someone because... Yeah currently we're building our relationship backwards we're starting with sex and emotional attraction and yeah. our spiritual foundation and worldviews are completely out of whack yeah would you agree in a way yes right but a spiritual foundation like some of the most religious people that i work with you wouldn't know right so it's a very personal internal experience for a lot of people you know mine included my own experiences that i have will be different to luna's luna's very earthy and very beautiful in that aspect so religion is almost the earth right Mine's a little bit different to that, right? So mine's more of like the mystical qualities. I'm sort of a little bit more out there in the way that I connect. 
So we share similar visions, right? But now we see in society that sex without intimacy is just mechanics, right? But sex with intimacy then becomes a union of sorts, which could be seen as the grounds for spiritual uh, foundation, right? So, and we also have to realize that as we change, our values are gonna change, right? So it's important to realize that no one's static. And so we need, like I always say, like a relationship really needs like a chair, it needs four legs. Yeah, like you can have three if it's a stool, but a traditional chair needs four legs. You need communication, you need respect and admiration, you need sexual connection through intimacy, and you need to be best friends, right? Now, if you remove one of those legs off the chair, you could still sit on it, but it's gonna be a little bit wobbly. And then if you remove the second one, you're kind of be, gonna be going like, oh, like this isn't easy to balance on. If you remove three of them, you, you don't really have a basis to sit on. So those are the pillars, right? And they become different points of exploration. So like in the start, if the sexuality is very charged, you know, the admiration might be quite high, but the best friendship might not have been developed yet. And so then it'll start to shift and change and the weight will be on other pillars. But over time, those four things should be the foundation for the relationship that I see. But that's held in a container of spiritual foundation anyway. Because if you're best friends, you've got a strong intimacy and sexual connection, respect and admiration and good communication, that's going to be hitting on all parts anyway. So I do agree with him. I like his writing, Jay Malik. So I'm a, I am a fan of his. Mm -hmm. I agree with what you just said. If you, if, so can you have that um, depth of intimacy sexually with someone who you're not committed to? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, like one, that, one but that'll night. be out of probably not a one night stand. But like sexual energy is excitement. Excitement is the same chemical as fear, right? That is arousal, which is a turn on, which is really the emotion of desire. Desire can be extremely strong without having the other chair legs, right? But that will burn out pretty quickly. That usually burns out in three months or four months. So you see these people that have really intense connections straight away. The reason why like when we like a switch goes off with people that we meet and people like, oh my God, Jag, he's the one, he's the one. And I'm like, how long have you known him? It's like a week. I'm like, run the other way. Because it's like, that's, that's like coming out of a place of you have attracted in someone vibrationally that has the same energetic signature as the parent that you haven't finished the business with. So they're not usually the one, right? They're one just to help you through that, to overcome that. So this is why people say, oh, I feel like I've known him forever. It's like, well, you've known your father forever and they, and they emit the same energetic frequency by virtual physics. So you are now in this state of pure excitement, which what it's like, and this is really romantic love. And so what it's like to feel wholeness in the absence of childhood wounding, because you anticipate your needs being met by this person who at the time is meeting the needs that your parent didn't give you. But that's where the sexual connection is usually very strong for about three months. But then after like six, nine months, this person's other side starts to emerge. So the chemicals start to sort of settle down a bit. The sexual attraction goes away because there's no heart connection. And then they move into a power struggle stage where it's like now their dream partner has become their nightmare partner. They've gone all in and they've thought they've mistaken intensity for intimacy. And that's where we start to get caught up. So what would you, what would you suggest in, in the meeting of someone? Because this year I've actually practiced celibacy and not slept with anyone after coming out of the opposite like the immature relationship where all it was was that and then an, another experience where I decided I'm going to draw the line here until I meet someone 
but mm-hmm. it's actually what it's done this you know, I could probably talk about an hour on the benefits I've found by engaging in relationships where you get to understand and learn and meet the person, become best friend before you actually sleep with them. I was just going to say, there's probably no right or wrong way, but I feel like sexual energy is such a powerful energy in our life that if we enter a relationship or an encounter with it, it can blindside us. 100%. It's the most powerful energy, I would say, next to love, right? Because it drives our, um, our preservation right? It's our genetic preservation that we're driven to as biological beings. So there's that and then there's love. When you kind of get the two together, that's why it's called making love because you're making love with someone, not to someone, but with someone, right? So I think celibacy for men is really important. I did it for 18 months and then I did it again for six months after that. And it's it's kind of funny. People, I remember I was talking to a friend of mine and he asked me, he was like, when was the last time you had sex? And I said, oh, about a year. And like, he almost went into shock and he was like, what? And he was watching porn a lot and sleeping around and all that stuff. I said, when you get to a part as a man, like when you go past about four weeks after that, it becomes easy because you don't, you're not actually walking around with this need to release all the time because the energy has been transmuted inwards. So pretty much the first 18 months of my career doing this, all my sexual energy was being channeled into my purpose. And then after that, it was just like, I became extremely selective of who I was with. And I've been with Luna for a couple of years now. And there was only one woman in before that. And she was only really short term for a couple of weeks. We just saw each other and then it burnt out. But it was like prior to that, it was 18 months of being celibate. And that shifted my entire energetic space. From that, it was like, I don't check women out. I've never really been like that anyway. I don't check women out. I don't have the same attitude towards them. And I think it's a real benefit that men go through that because it shifts your whole mentality towards women completely. You don't see them as these objects to obtain like a a business card or a certain amount of money or a new car, which is how society sells them. Rather, you see them as an actual woman, right? And then that becomes something more to move towards in how to honor that and understand that and move towards that. I would agree entirely. My year this year, yeah, it's been, it's not like I've, I've got a lot on all the time, but this year it's more, I've got a lot on, but it's, I've got the energy to manage it all and actually the creative energy required to keep going without having any, any stress because it does consume a large, I, I would say that the average man, whether they're in a relationship and actively having sex, they're thinking about that a lot. So they're probably consuming a large part of their day using that energy to think about women sexually which is very like if you're trying to achieve your purpose and you're trying to have a fulfilling life as a masculine man and you want to you know give service to humanity and you're putting all of your energy into porn or casual sex Mm. thinking which is more or less porn um i think you're wasting that energy and that gift that you have for people 100 percent. and i think that whenever i'm working with a man that wants to find purpose i'm like go celibate Because if they're already in a marriage with kids, it's going to be very difficult for them to give the right amount of energy to then find their purpose. They'd have to have a fucking amazing wife that's very supportive and money in the bank and all sorts of stuff to be able to manage that and be able to do that properly. So when I was really stepping into this, I was celibate. I wasn't dating. I've never been on dating apps. I don't try it. I wasn't sleeping around. I don't watch porn. All of that, which wasn't really in my life anyway at the time, got completely eradicated. And I was 100% in focus on my purpose. So it was even like masturbation and stuff like that. I wasn't engaging in that either, 
right? So I was, I was abstinent. I was com in complete abstinence the whole time. And so it was, I had to use other techniques to circulate the energy because you can become backed up if that's the case. So I'd use breath, different types of breath work and meditation to be able to really like circulate the energy up the spine, out the top of the head, different sort of organ massages and things like that to be able to get through it. But, you know, prior to that, because I was in the investment world, you know, I'd work one or two hours a week. I was on drugs most of the time. I had no energy, but then I was working with this. I was doing 40 plus 90 minute sessions a week at any time of the day or night. Like if I had one at 2 a.m., I'd get up and do it at 2 a.m. And then I'd go back to bed. So I had all this energy channeled into really discovering and setting the foundation for my purpose. And once I did that, it was just, it was a game changer. And then, you know, I met Luna a couple of years into doing the work and we've been together for a couple of years now. And it's just a nice balance between the two because it's like, I'm not distracted running off after women or single or anything like that. It's, you know, I've got energy to put into the commitment of my relationship, the energy to put into the commitment of my purpose. And plus I've got other activities that I do as well that are meeting my own needs. Would you say that your partner is multiplying what you're creating? She is 100%. 100%. I saw this post the other day and I was going to write it because I can be a bit controversial sometimes where it was like, you know, a real woman creates a king, right? And I was like, no, she doesn't. Like that's sort of feminist sort of propaganda that it is. A man has to become integrated to step into that. Then a woman will compliment it. She won't be a king maker because then she's his mother in a way. And usually it'll be an imbalanced king energy, not like a royalty king I'm talking about. But the fact that like this account took responsibility for it, it's like, oh, fuck, shut up. Like it gets so boring hearing all of that because it's not real and it's not true. A woman should compliment and be led by the man. She doesn't make the king. It's fucking absurd. And so the man has to become integrated internally, which isn't about becoming something. It's about unbecoming. And you would know this through Vipassana in about the releasing. It's about unbecoming the false self, right, which is you know, I can sleep around, I can do all this, all that sort of stuff's easy. Like it's, it's not difficult at all to do that. It's about integrating the parts of you that you need from the shadow into the light. So you can become integrated with both. And then you can start to sit in that energy accurately. And that's where you're being purpose. You have a beautiful relationship. The relationship can be challenging too at times, but also be out in the world as an integrated man and continually integrating parts of yourself to step into full power. I said on what you just said about it being easy, casual sex, I said to a mate the other day, I said, it's, uh, you know, you know, in high school, everyone used to know oh, how many women you slept with. It's now, I told him, I said, it's now cool to count how many days you've gone without it. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like people like, well, you did 18 months. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, once you pass the first month, it's not hard. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah. You don't have that because too much sexual energy where you're horny all the time is too much heat in the system. So there's too much friction. There's too much stress. There's too much inflammation. It's usually from the kidneys as well. And so there's a lot of fear going on right? Fear is hot. And so like when you're in this space of that, it's like, well, how long have you gone? Like there's a lot of men out there now. It's like that are doing semen retention. It's like, oh, how long have you been? It's been three months. Like, yeah, fucking good work, man. You know, rather than like, yeah. I see sleeping around as disgusting now. I see it as really yeah. gross, really wounded. It's like, it's just, it's not for me. Like you couldn't pay me enough money to be able to have a one night stand because energetically and biologically i wouldn't be able to do it because i need the deeper connections to be able to engage in that behavior i'd rather not have it than do that yeah 100 percent, and that's what i've learned this year in not letting that energy into my space because you can once you start to realize how powerful your energy is once you've actually got it 
yeah. and you let a woman that's chaotic into your life, you watch it just crumble. Having sex with the wrong person can fuck your psyche up like no man's business. Like it can really have, it can create chaos in the depths of the psyche, especially for masculine men, which are more, you know, relegated to biological imperative to like, you know, spread their seed around. If you have the wrong energetic expression around that, man, you can be ending up with like, you know, the crazies like that we, as men, we speak about one after another, after another narcissistic, you know, even like some of them take on demonic entities, things like that. And they can be fucking chaos for a man's psyche. Chaos. Since you mentioned that word, demonic energies coming into children during traumatic experiences and carrying them through their life. Yeah. Can you talk on that or not really? Yeah, I mean, I can talk on it. It happens. It usually what happens is when there's a disassociation, right? What will happen is there'll be an opportunity for a lower realm or astral um, entity that'll jump in that'll be more of a negative perspective it's it can be demonic that's the way that we'd see it right which can scare people but i just see it as like a lower vibrational entity right there's nothing good really or bad in the world it's just a balancing act right and so it's like you know when we drink and we black out because alcohol comes from the arabic word alcohol which means body eating spirit that's why we call alcohol spirits right and so what can happen is there can be a disassociation and then there can be like an attachment that comes in. Entities just attach themselves to whatever frequency they find attractive to feed off. So when there's an opportunity for as a child, which is a very innocent and pure energetic state, children are so pure. That's why we need to protect them. And we can get into the transgender stuff if you want, but we'll stay with this for the moment. You know, if they have a really traumatic experience, they can go into a disassociation. They're a pure vessel of light. And then whatever needs to feed off that because they don't have access to it themselves in the spiritual realm will jump in and attach themselves to that being and then can not fully control them, but can have major influence on what, um, what they do after that. And it's typically through sexual trauma that that can happen. Yeah, right. There's something in the eyes which I've started to observe where I can see, well, I've seen it in a few people, but the switch happened where they go into a state of anxiety or fear or greed or whatever it is, a lower vibration and their eyes change. They lose like the yeah. blister, yeah. it goes kind of dark and you can kind of see it looks like they're possessed. Yeah, I mean, hundred percent, you know, um, I've seen it in, not, especially aggressively narcissistic people. It's like their eyes go black, yeah. right? Or like violent people, aggressive people. They're like, there's a vacancy that comes on, even if they have really bright green or blue eyes, right? they'll go vacant. And it's like, for that moment, they don't have a soul almost. It's like, I remember one of my ex-girlfriends years ago, I, I was looking at her and I was like, you know, sometimes I look at you and it's just like, there's nothing behind your eyes. There was just an absence there, right? Like NPCs, which are like non-playable characters, right? Which is the term getting around at the moment. It was almost like that. And I was like, there's just no life there, right? There's no energy behind it. And so I think that's what happens at those times where they get sort of like activated almost and that could possibly be a potentiality for that so i'm glad that you picked up on that because i i see that too have you looked at andrew tate's eyes not closely not closely always, but i could see I've, that that's pretty i've been suspicious on him since the beginning but i looked at him yesterday and i was like oh there it is so no substance is addictive i like that because i you know having tried probably all of the drugs in the world and dabbled i could start smoking tomorrow for 
12 months, a pack a day, and I'd stop the next second if I wanted to. I'd like you to, I can't, like, obviously from the past where I know how to just go internally, observe that it's not actually, it's a craving of something that I'm lacking and I could just observe it and not react to it. Mm-hmm. How do you, What? why did you say that? Because I heard you mention it somewhere, that no substance is addictive. Yeah, because I, there was a time where I worked with a, a number of people that were in addiction groups and all of them left addiction groups after that, right? Because they're going into AA and stuff like that. And it's with all respect. I know people that stay in it and they're great people, great human beings. Like, you know, they're awesome people, right? But all you're doing is supplanting one addiction for another in the form of an addiction group. So you're still in a form of dependency, right? So it's a form of dependency. And when are we a dependent? When we're a child. And what are we dependent on? Connection, safety, security, right? So what happens is when we go into that, we become dependent on something that makes us feel the connection that we didn't get as children, right? So this is where like cocaine chats, right? Fuck, and the amount of those I used to have back in the day where I'd be like, let's start a business and all that sort of shit. Like when you're high at 2 a.m. and like, yeah, let's be friends, let's hang out afterwards. And then they ring you a few days later and let's hang out. And you're like, oh, nah, I'm not hanging out with that person, right? So addiction really what we're addicted to is we're addicted to our memory, which is the story, which produces a thought, which then informs a feeling. And that feeling is what we want to get addicted to. That's what we're really addicted to is a feeling. Most of the time it's dopamine. That's really it because we want to feel good because we didn't feel good as children. And then that's the escapism that we experience through that. So alcohol lowers the inhibitions, drugs spike the, uh, the dopamine, and then we become addicted to the dopamine hits. Instagram, social media, food, sex, drugs. There's no substance on this planet that is addictive. That's why you can do a line of cocaine once and you're not like automatically your body's dependent on it. It's like one drink. It takes a lot of like drinks to get to a destructive place, you know, over time where you're waking up in the morning and having a drink, you know, having one cigarette, cigarette smoking, smoking was my thing as well. And so it was like, when you start again, it's fucking disgusting. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't make you feel good. You stink. It's gross. Like it's, there's nothing nice about it. But then as you start to have it more, because nicotine and cigarettes increase your dopamine by up to 500%. And so you have one and then you feel good. And then you counteract the way I feel shit by feeling good because of the dopamine hit. And then it makes you feel good. You relax, you take deep breaths in. And that's all you become addicted to is the feeling. And that's the mechanism that releases the dopamine that you get addicted to. That's why social media is addictive because it releases dopamine. And you, you're always chasing, like if you have the first cigarette, then the second one slightly shitter. And then by the fifth one, you're wondering why you're smoking. Yeah, I'm going to quit. I'm going to get rid of it. It's like tobacco is an amplifier. We're not meant to inhale it. We're meant to just hold it in the mouth and release it. That's where it's used as a sacred medicine because it amplifies everything. So if you're taking it, inhaling it, going, I know this is bad. I know this is bad. In your field, you're making yourself sick. Because it amplifies it, tobacco amplifies it, you know. So if I'm going, I shouldn't be doing this, I'm gonna get sick, I'm gonna get cancer, I'm gonna do this. Did like beliefs form the foundation for disease and smoking just amplifies that? So what if you what if you smoke without the um that belief? You know, I've got a mate who's I mean, he's smoked probably his whole life, but he's also extremely healthy. He's a very connected man. And I would say that, you know, obviously smoking's not healthy for him, but it probably isn't having that much of an effect as much of an effect beliefs because form, he doesn't talk. yeah beliefs form everything right so that's why you see people that have smoked their entire lives and they're 95 and they're still getting around like not like they're cool right 
Whereas then you get someone that might have like three cigarettes and their internal state is so bad that they end up getting sick or they go to a solarium once and they get a melanoma, you know, or like, you know, it's things like that. I mean, you produce it within. If you believe you're going to get sick, you will. You know, it's like, if you go back to what I said about the autoimmune issues. If you're psychologically attacking yourself, you're going to get symptoms that show your body attacking itself. It's really simple. It's like, my mom's a bit of a panic merchant with sickness and disease. And she's like, go and get a blood test every three months. I'm like, but then I'm forming the belief there's something wrong with me. I'm going to go looking for it. And guess what's going to manifest? The very thing that I'm trying to find, because that's what I believe I'm looking for. You know, it's all about perception. When we look for something, we'll fucking find it and do whatever we can to find it. Like the wound of abandonment is a really powerful expression of that. Because if abandonment is your thing, you will fucking move heaven and earth to make sure that person abandons you because security lies in that, you know? And so to go back to the woman that had the vaccine, the vaccine injury, right. And she was diagnosed with Lyme's disease. It was all up here because she felt bad after an injection. And then over time, her symptoms became an identity. And this is where I have an issue with diagnosis. Diagnosis is like you go looking for something, you get a blood test to find what's wrong with you, and then you get a diagnosis, which should free you, but it actually limits you by virtue of the diagnosis. So you don't actually go anywhere. And then you're like, oh, I've got Crohn's disease. I've got arthritis. I've got this. No, you don't. You've got some inflammation in the body, which needs to be tended to because of your emotional state. It's like all the um, all the people that got sick in the last few years. I didn't, I didn't, I just didn't shut up and believe anything and I um, still haven't been sick. Same. I didn't get COVID. Yeah. What's COVID? Yeah. I'd like you to touch on what a father wound looks like for a female. The father wound, the way I see it is typically, you know, the father obviously leaves, right? Most of the time. And what they do is then they subconsciously use the most powerful mechanism that a woman has to get attention, which is their sexuality. And that is preyed upon uh, in our society from the sexual revolution. It's preyed upon through Tinder. I always say like, you've learned very valuable lessons in the classroom of kindergarten because it's a bunch of wounded children that are running around in that classroom using sexuality to get what they want. And so because the wound hasn't been healed from the father, they have to, they have to use their most powerful energy to get attention to be validated, which was the validation they never got as a little girl, which what they're really looking for is love, but it's been confused with sex because there's a mistrust of the fact that they are actually able and deserve love from a man. So they sort of bring them in using sexual energy. And that will typically be when the father's been violent or he's been a very weak man, and like whether the, where the mother's been the father and the father's been more of the mother. And so it can create a whole lot of imbalances by that. But what I see is the typical expression is that sexuality is used to promote that. And like, look at society, right? Sex sells, women are objectified, families are splitting up. It creates a complete toxic balance. And that's the father wound. Typically, just while we're there, the mother wound will be the man or the boy never separates from his mother. So it's kind of the opposite. Like the father wound happens when the father leaves. And the girl doesn't have a strong masculine male influence that really nurtures her from a healthy masculine perspective, whereas it's the other way for the masculine, right? So the feminine is like the wound of, ne of neglect and abandonment. That's where she'll develop it. But the boy will have the wound of intrusion and smothering. So the mother will be like, 
you have to stay by me all the time. And then he like becomes what's called the high chair tyrant, which is he throws his toys out of the pram. Every time he doesn't get his way, he becomes needy, becomes demanding. And then he expects the woman to be his mother because he never separated from her. So it's really interesting to see the balance because the feminine or the girl needs the father to stay, to have that healthy, well, to form the healthy uh, masculine idea in the formative years doesn't mean she can't get it later. And the boy actually has to separate and do the opposite to what is required for a healthy female and father wound versus the mother wound. Does that, does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. Would you say that, um, would you say that, a woman who's grown up without a father and has had to become more or less or watched her mother be the father, would you say that that, you know, likely they'll become feminist, but would you say they would attract then a polarity, their polarity, which would be a feminine partner? Yeah. And form of a male. Yeah. Maybe not a hundred percent, like 99% of the time. Yes, they will, because they'll move into their masculine. They'll become dominant, hyper-independent, very feminist based, you get the more extreme versions which hate men and think that we should be eradicated off the planet but then sometimes life will serve up and it's not the it's not the girl's fault it's just what she's grown up with you know really it's the fucking father's fault for leaving and the mother's fault for choosing a man that's going to leave right so it's not the little girl's fault that she grows up like that so that's the first thing that we really need to look at around it is that a woman that grows up like that it's not her fault it's just environmental it's nature versus nurture but sometimes what will happen is, you know, they'll get a man in that represents the real masculine. And then that whole like glass framework that's paper thin will be fucking shattered, right? Because their masculine energy won't be as masculine as the masculine man. And I've, I've had this with women before that like try to outmasculine me. And it, I just always put it back to I'm like, it's like a three-year-old trying to fight you for five minutes or 10 minutes. It's really cute. After like that, you're like, okay, you're pissing me off now. Like, you know, leave me alone, you know. But again, it's like it's like the feminine uh, men that are around, like, and not even just feminine, but effeminate, right? And they're typically the product of the smothering mother, but they'll attract in a masculine man to do everything, a masculine woman to do everything, but it's imbalanced. It's inverted. It's the opposites of the way things are supposed to go. I was laughing just then because I've had that experience this year and it wasn't so much that they were trying to outmasculine me, but you could tell that they've never, they've never been um, able to surrender to any masculine man because all the men that they've attracted have been feminine. So just like a five minute gaze into yeah. their eyes and they, they've melted. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because they're being seen for the first time. You know, that's why that's very powerful. So you know, it's funny because a lot of women are like, oh, I want a conscious man, but it's like you bring in a conscious man, he's going to fuck everything up that you thought was you as a woman because he's going to reveal all the parts of you that are trapped in the immature, bratty, dark feminine that you haven't really gone to work on and you've sort of associated with as this masculine shield that you embody that you think is you being a powerful woman, but it's not. They're embodying masculine traits based on feminist propaganda that they think is the true art of being a woman because they're a powerful woman. And we see this in like movies now. There's a movie coming out called The Woman King, right? You look at Black Panther, like the warriors are all women, but they fucking shave their heads bald like men, you know? So it's like, it's utterly ridiculous. And I see this a lot through social narratives and media and programming, like, oh, there's nothing more powerful than a mama protecting a child. And this happened to me. This was an example. And I'm like, I've done jujitsu martial arts for a long time. And I was like, 
That's so fucking ridiculous. I could take your kid off you in 30 seconds. There's nothing you could do about it. Nothing, right? Or if a man's got a weapon, as an example, or a woman's got a weapon and wants to take your child, like, you're not going to do anything about it. We need to ditch this, like, women can do everything attitude because they can't. Just as men can't do everything, we do what's good for us. We're the builders and the managers, the hunters, the protectors, the providers. Women are the nurturers. I always say men get the home, men get the house, women create the home, right? But you do it together. You know, and so there's this idea that women can just do everything. Like women can fight, women can stand up against the tyranny in the world. It's like, you just no, it's not going to happen. It's not. I have this because I train jujitsu as well, and even um, women belts that are higher, you still kind of have this underlying, like they might be better, more versed in the language of jujitsu, but there's this kind of like if you're knee riding a woman, you're kind of like fuck, and you kind of go easy a bit more as well. Do you know what I mean? Like there's still this underlying part where you know that really you would be able to destroy them. Yeah. And like, I mean, that's why you get like, you know, even if you get like a 50 year old black belt and you get like a 25 year old high level competition blue belt, that 25 year old high level competition athletic blue belt is probably going to tap the black belt out. Right. Like just through sheer athleticism, force and strength. Now, if you've got like a 40-year-old black belt and a 40-year-old black belt, you know, that are both at the same level, then it's going to come down to skill. But if you've got like a white belt, whether it's a man or a woman and a black belt that's 70, that black belt is going to turn that person into a pretzel pretty easily. But you're right with it, you know, and unless the, the woman gets to, I'd say, purple belt and higher, they're going to have a real difficult time managing anything. But there is a level of care that you need to take with it. You know, I did that, like I would do that. I'd never roll as hard with a woman as I would with a guy. Like, uh, like that's why I only train with black belts. That's it. I don't do classes. I do privates. So that way I can go fucking bam, you know, like two gorillas throwing themselves at each other. So I don't have to deal with that stuff. But it's like, it's an interesting concept because there is still a bit of that gentleness that you need to take to them. And you might get some savage women that, you know, purple, brown, black, that are like athletes and it's like all right well let's do it it's on let's go but you know if they're in the lower ranks then you're not going to do it so it's like i i hear you on that as well i don't i'm not comfortable going 100 percent with a woman yeah there was a guy who got kicked out of our gym about two weeks ago for going too hard on a woman like yeah just unnecessary yeah i've seen him I've seen that before i saw one guy that i rolled with i had two torn meniscus at one time and i was just like Hey man, I need to go light. And he was a white belt from Liverpool. He's a big dude, like six four, six five, and jacked, right? And um, I was like, look, I can't roll that hard. And so he starts going hundred percent on me. And I was like, ah, oh, you fucker. So I ended up like sparking up and tapping him out. But then there was a woman um, that was she was a black belt, but she was small, like five foot four. And he went hundred percent on her, was like elbowing her and just being crazy and stupid. And it was just like, man, like you know it's you're not in a street fight like relax you know we're here yeah. to we're not here to hurt each other i agree i'm glad we just had it we slipped jujitsu in there for a little bit can we <laughs> can we, um i just let's finish on um the transgender and feminist uh, let's just finish on transgender your comment before yeah so you know we look through history the 60s there was a sexual revolution and there was the feminist movement that came in that was an attack on masculinity and femininity this was to essentially break the family up so the powers that be could tax the other half of the population that didn't work, right? That was the first thing. 
Back in 1923 in the Frankfurt School, they developed the idea of the one world government, the communist agenda, which was to make men the oppressors and women the oppressed to split society. So we went in that, which was the sexual revolution, and then women started sleeping around, it broke up the family. The woman's womb, and I won't speak too much about this because it's my partner that's really more capable of explaining this, that's her field of expertise that she's amazing at, it becomes the dumping ground for trauma, right? So it holds the trauma in there. So if a woman's sleeping with a lot of men, you know, in the hundreds or the fifties or whatever. Is that, is that womb um, trauma generational? Like, can you pass it on or not? Yeah, you can, unless you clear it, you can pass it on to the next man you're with. You can pass it on to your kids. You can pass it on to anyone. However that expresses itself will express itself. And so that was what that was really about. So we've had this attack on masculinity and what I'm doing is just providing a timeline for everyone to see where it's come from. So what that is, is was break up the family unit. Yeah. And then there's been the attack on masculinity as well, which is feminist movement, domestic violence ads. You know, if you do the numbers, coercive control, which is, an, which is a manipulative technique that incorporates domestic violence, women are the bigger offenders than men of that, right? Men are the physical, more of physical abusers. I mean, I worked with a guy who... I was working with him when he was going through this relationship and his woman smashed a vase over his head, right? And I was like, call the fucking police because that's domestic violence. Cops came, didn't do anything to him. Just, oh, sort it out. It's just a woman being crazy. Can you imagine if you or I smashed a vase over a woman's head? We'd be in prison. So it's an imbalanced thing that's going on around it. So there should be equal rules. It's like a woman can accuse a man of rape and if he gets found guilty, even if he didn't do it, he goes to jail for a long time. But if she makes it up, there's no penalty. She should go to prison for the same amount of time as he would have gone for doing the deed because that's like, it's and it's not fair in that world, right? So we've gone through this attack on masculinity, which if there's no strong men around, the agenda that's going on can't come into full swing because we'll all stand up and go, fuck this, which I think we will at some point and we'll take back what's ours. But then the transgender movement now is for the state to raise the children, to confuse their identity you know, to fill them with heavy metals, with toxins, with chemicals that are going to start to make them feel in doubt with who they are because it affects their psychological state and their emotional state. So the transgender movement is an inversion, right? Like all satanic stuff is inversion, right? It's the opposite to God. It's the opposite to nature. It's inversion. It's why the gay flag, you look at a rainbow, right? It's the reverse of a rainbow, right? It's the opposite. It's the chakra colors, right? And it goes from violet or purple at the bottom of the flag up to red. In the actual body, the color centers are red that go up to violet, purpley colors, right? So it's an inversion of our natural state of energetic flow and that it's yeah. been inverted. So the transgender movement is to create more separation, to create doubt with identity, to create androgyny, which is the Baphomet symbol of male and female incorporated into one. And so then the state can raise the children through the schooling system to indoctrinate them even more. Right, I agree with you entirely. So where do you think the um, the rise of Andrew Tate fits into this when all when these men are talking about taking back your masculinity? Because it almost feels like it's controlled opposition. Yeah, and it would be in a way, but there's also a powerful notion to him as well, that that's how desperate men are for a man of that caliber to step up. Now, I think about Andrew Tate, I think he's had his heart broken before and he's in that sort of red pill toxic community, which I think red pill is quite toxic. I think there's a little bit of like truth to the behavioral aspect, but there's so much it doesn't take into account 
And that's where betas become alphas under false pretenses. They're not actually embodying that. And Tate is an alpha on a lot of levels, right? He is, he's tall, he's strong, he's a kickboxer. Just that alone, he's got money. So he's an alpha in that aspect, but emotionally he doesn't seem very evolved. So there's different types of alphas. There's intellectual ones like Jordan Peterson. That guy couldn't do much in a street fight, but he is an intellectual alpha that'll make a physical alpha feel very small, right? There's emotional alphas, men that are like stoic, right? Like the Marcus Aurelius types. Then there's the physical alphas, which will last a small amount of time, usually from 20 to 23 up to about 45. Then like, there's a saying, it's like you either live, if you're an alpha, you live long enough to become a sigma or a beta, right? So it doesn't last very long. So it's about becoming a true alpha in that aspect is becoming complete everywhere. That's the integration where, okay, if you've got physical prowess, do you know jujitsu as an example? I think jujitsu is a superpower because if like you're even a blue belt, you're going to handle 95% of people on the street without too much trouble, right? When you get to purple and black, you're not really going to worry about too much confidence, right? So you've got that. Then you find your purpose, right? So you commit to that. You get your sexual energy under control by celibacy, semen retention. So you get mastery of who you are internally. Of course, you're still going to have moments where you get pissed off. I still get pissed off. I just own it, right? And so that's where you become integrated. Whereas I don't see Andrew Tate as fully integrated. I see him as an excellent marketer and excellent branding value. But I reckon he's had his heart broken before and he's still pining over a woman underneath it somewhere there where he's been really hurt and hasn't integrated it. And that's why he's presented as this thing. I could be wrong. I don't think I am. I'm pretty good at reading people. And I think that he's actually probably a pretty sensitive guy because anyone that's truly in that doesn't need to act like that. You know, that's pseudo alpha. Like, look at my money and my jet and my cigars and my whiskey. Like, if you're doing it, like, there's a saying I love, which, you know, work in silence and let success make the noise, right? And that's more where I'm at. Like, I don't go out there brandishing how much money I make or anything like that or whatever. I talk about the topics that are important for men to understand so they can become more integrated and powerful. Jiu-Jitsu for me is extremely difficult. It's tough. I've had nine knee injuries. You know, I'm on just about to turn 40. It's like, so I've been through it with that. And I keep going back because it's important to test myself. Iron sharpens iron. So for me, that's my challenge. Other people not, might not find it that challenging, you know? I'm starting hunting as well soon. So it's like, it's about doing shit that honor the primal masculine parts of this. He does that in a pretty good way. I don't know him personally, so I don't want to rip him too much. But I think the, the men nowadays are craving for these men to stand up. And he does represent what constitutes a strong man. He doesn't give a fuck. He talks out against the system. I do that too. And like, I get a lot of men saying, man, I love you. I love that you're doing this. Thank you. Thank you for being a voice for us. It's like, I don't want to be a voice for anyone except myself. You be a voice for yourself and just stand next to me and do it. You know, it's like leaders are, a real leader doesn't want to be a leader. He's called to be a leader and people put him in that position, right? So that's when a man becomes powerful, where he gains influence just by being himself without trying to gain influence. So I'm a fan of his on some level because it's evident that that's who we need in positions of influence saying, let's raise strong men. But I'm also not a fan because I think he buys into that red pill toxic culture, which it's pretty easy to dismantle that because it's only a biological imperative and it's not really taken into emotional, spiritual, even karmic aspects that needs to be worked through and especially not traumatic aspects as well. Um, I don't want to get conspiracy on this podcast, but um, would you not say that because we've swung completely to a feminist society 
that the powers to be aren't just completely swinging the pendulum back the opposite direction to maintain control of people in the They've just moved the 100%. people who didn't agree with feminism to this side now. Yeah, 100%, man. I was, just before I got on this phone call, um, Luna was listening to a book called the, the Oracle, the Princess, the Queen and the Whore, something like that by a guy named Stefan Anio. And it was quite rattling for her because it's all around the red pill, rational male, um, Rollo Tomasi kind of uh, manosphere that's out there. And I'm like, that's just the modern version of feminism. That's it. Like I said, feminism isn't shocking to you because it was here before you were born. So man-hating and men are useless, men are dumb, men are fucking weak, it's the patriarch, rah-rah, smash the patriarch, all that fucking bullshit. That's been around for since before we were born. The red pill movement is only kind of new in the last 10 years, right? And really gaining traction now. It's just the, it's just the other, other side of radical feminism. It's the same fucking thing. It's just for men. That's why you see men go into MGTOW, which is men going their own way, which become, you know, incels, which is involuntarily celibate. And woman haters, you look at the radical feminists, they're all fucking blue-haired cat collectors that are in their 60s that fucking hate men that want us all to die. Same with men going into MGTOW. It's just, I hate fucking women because I'm too scared because I've been hurt before and I'm afraid of a sensation in my body to open my heart and become powerful. Two sides of the same coin. And it's just, it's, it, it's probably controlled opposition on some level, but there's roots to it. Like there is a patriarchy, right? There's, they've got to have some sort of foundation in truth to be able to manipulate people. It's like hide falsity in some truth, right? So yeah, yeah. that's where it's at. So it's just swinging the other way now, which is to create more division. It's, um, it's an interesting one because as I, um, you know, leave everything else I'm doing and try and go more down the path of speaking to people and people talk to me about anxiety or their heartbreaks and things like this, they're things that I, they're just not in my consciousness. So it's actually, you know, maybe it's something I need to ask you, but how you can relate when it's it's almost like it's even if i have a heartbreak i'm not closing my heart off i'll go straight into it again because yeah. i just it's just uh, to me it's just a sensation it's an, another experience so to be able to talk someone through the part where they don't actually need to hold on because it's just a little feeling that they're going to feel for a little bit longer you know what i mean it's hard for me mm. to relate to people who are in a state of holding on to a closed heart or holding on to anxiety or holding on to because it's so simple to me it's just um observe the feeling and move through it and it goes away it dissipates yeah let it go but they don't want to let go they don't want to yeah because that is all you're saying they don't because it's familiar and they enjoy unconsciously enjoy the suffering then they get to play the victim and the victim gets attention and usually they get their needs met through other people to support the feeling that they're going through rather than move through it it's like I look at holding on versus letting go. If I ask you to pick up a 200 kilo deadlift and hold on to it for 10 minutes, that's going to require all of your strength, pressure, and tension to do it. Whether you could do it or not is a question. I couldn't do it unless I was threatened with the life of a child in front of me or something where my arms might fucking rip out, but whatever, right? For the general public, we're not going to be able to hold on to that for too long. But then if I tell you to let it go after 10 minutes, how much strength, pressure, and tension is it going to require to let that go? Nothing. So what's more difficult, holding on or letting go? Mm. Holding on is much harder. People think mm. that letting go is hard. That's even a narrative out there. Oh, it's so hard to let go. No, it's much more difficult to hold on. But people like that because they enjoy the suffering because when you get rid of suffering, as you would know, you got no more fucking bullshit excuses to play small. You got nothing in the way. You can't blame anyone there. You can't be a victim anymore. You can't be apathetic. 
You can't say, oh, my woe is me. It's all so hard. It's all so difficult. You know, I'm a single mom or I'm broke or the guys on the building side fucking were teasing me today. It's like, shut up and get on with it. You know, get on with it. You know, at some point I was dealing with a, a person with heartbreak for a few months and I said, shut the fuck up. You're staying in the story. Talking about the pattern repeats the pattern. Talking about your heartbreak perpetuates the heartbreak. You can let it go like that because it's not breaking up with the person that's difficult. It's breaking up with the version of you that required and attracted that person in to leave you so you could learn to open your heart and love them even when they left. And that's all what it's all about. Heartbreak is heart opening. And you know this, so that's that's beautiful. People, yeah, the people listening might not. So it's good. You said it really well. You're a writer, that's why. Yeah, people think I'm an author, but I'm not. Like, I've never practiced writing. I've never studied it. I'm like, what I am is a, is a healer, essentially, and a physicist. And I'm better with my language when I speak versus my writing. But it's like, people think they're like, hey, like, where can I buy your books? I'm like, I don't have any. So I'm not an author, you know? So it's interesting because it comes up a fair bit that people think I'm a writer. And it's like, I'm actually not. It's just, I'm more of a speaker and communicator. And it just comes out pretty well in my writing a lot of the time. I was going, because I, I write a fair bit. I actually... I started one thing on the um, what you said before about getting on with it. I started getting up between three and four every morning. And I find if you start your day just, you know, in something shit, like whether you get up and get in the ice bath or just getting up at 3am is kind of lame at the same time. Your rest of your day becomes easier. So when people have something hard, that some hurdle, which they can't seem to get over, go and do something harder. Yeah. Then it makes that thing so easy. It's like, Oh, a feeling of anxiety, a little sensation in my body. Like, Go to the gym and just smash yourself or get up, go to sit in an ice bath for 10 minutes. Do something yeah, that's I do that ridiculous. every morning. Yeah, do something hard. How hard is jiu-jitsu? It's fucking hard, man. It's so hard. It's known as the hardest martial art. Same with wrestling. It's like, go do something that pushes you to your own limits, right? Like I wake up every morning and I'll do 20 minutes of breath work at either Wim Hof or Ego Eradicator, which is breath of fire sitting with your arms over your head for 20 minutes. Like, it sucks, it fucking sucks. And then I have a cold shower straight after that. I'm like, it's like a 40 minute practice, but I do it every day. Every day I wake up and I'm like, it'd be so much easier to be warm and have a coffee and just relax. But I know that if I don't do it, that little voice wins. And when that voice wins once, it'll win again and again and again. But you're so right. And it's such a great observation that you made. I'm glad you brought it up. Because when I start my day and I do not falter, I'll be lying in bed with Luna and we're cuddling and it's warm and it's like, okay, I'm in bed with my beautiful partner. And it's like, it'd be so easy just to like stay here till 7am. But I'm like, it's 4.30. I've got to get up because this is the coldest part of the morning. I got to do my breath work in my, just my underwear on the couch with no blankets, nothing when it's cold break through that and then i got to jump in the shower for 10 minutes to make it cold and i'm like i don't care i'm doing it i don't i don't bargain with the voice i don't say tomorrow i'm done oh maybe i can have a day off today no 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 way get it done and then the rest of my day becomes easy yeah another thing i do if because this morning it happened i was actually just too sore from jits and gym but I just messaged with my brother, I lived with my brother and I said, we're going through the motion regardless. So we just, you get up and even if you just go to the gym and do it, do a lighter session, just go through the motion. Yeah. And then you don't, you don't lose to that yeah. voice inside your head, like you said. Yeah. Just, you don't give into it. It's like, I've got a, my left knee at the moment needs surgery because I've got a bucket handle tearing my meniscus. My physio, everyone's like, don't roll. I go and roll for half an hour, three, four days a week. 
You know, like, I'm like, well, I can't tear it anymore. I can't do any worse to that injury. So what, why, like, why not? Like learn to train when you're in a bad space, you become so much better. So when I actually get the surgery, then I go back and I'm like, cool, now I can really turn up the heat. And it's like, cool, do something difficult. Stop doubting yourself. Like men need challenge. Iron sharpens iron. But it's really you against yourself. Like wake up, do some breath work, have a cold shower. That'll form a good foundation for discipline. Then graduate to ice baths or, you know, ice lakes in nature. Take on a hard martial art. Like jujitsu, why I love it so much is it just showed me all of my bullshit excuses because it was me against me. And I'd rock up and I'm sore and I've trained five days that week and, you know, I dislocated a finger early and my ribs are sore and my neck's cranked. And I'm like, I can hear myself going, just say you want to roll light today. Just don't roll today. Just don't do it today. And I'm like, just be late for the warm up, right? <laughs> like just, just all these little voices. And I'm like, no, fuck. Like, I can't be bothered. I need some rest. You get more out of it if you rest more. And it's like, you know, you just got to fucking go nah and then just get past it and get it done. Because those excuses, trans, what people think is that the excuses are only there in that time when you may need to recover. But the excuses actually, if you put that carries through with the rest of your life. So then yeah. you real, you start to realize whenever you make bullshit excuses just in your day-to-day life. Yeah, like with the, there's a point where you shouldn't push through everything. Like there was a time yeah. where I was having tea with a mate in Bondi Junction and I just come from Jits and my hands were going numb and I couldn't pick the cup of tea up. And he's like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, I just can't feel my hands. He goes, why not? I'm like, oh, just nerve stuff going on in my neck. No big deal. And he's like, that's not normal, man. And like, I couldn't read a book for more than 20 minutes without my hands going numb or arms going numb. And I'm like, yeah. there's that level. Or like, you know, yeah. I'd be walking out and I would have rolled for 90 minutes with my coach, just rolling for 90 minutes, no time, nothing. And I'd walk out and I'd be in bed like going, oh, fuck, like this is fucked, you know? Like, I'm not saying everyone needs to go to that level. That's the Goggins extreme. Yeah, that's going to the extreme. That's too far. That's compensating. But like, if you're training three, four days a week and you're sore, like whatever you don't want to do, go and do it. If it's lifting weights in between JIT sessions, go and do it. If it's breath work, do it. Just whatever you see see yourself not wanting to do, get in and do it because that's where you develop discipline. I agree. All right. This, um, it's been awesome talking to you. Thanks. I'm glad we could finally make it happen. Yeah, me too, man. I appreciate the time. Hopefully in person one day. I'll let you know when I'm up at the sunny coast. So if you're down my way, let me know and we'll catch up, man. All right. Legend. Keep right. posting and it'd be good if you put all of your, I had a thought before, which I was going to do it myself with all my writings, just get all my quotes and just, just publish. That's your book. You've got your book already done. Yeah, it's <laughs> Krishna Murdy. They have a they have one of I don't know if you have his book. I'm sure you do because you um, love his work. But every day is one more of his quotes. I think I have that. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing with your life? Is a good one like that too. He's got a good one that's like that. It's just multiple different topics. And so I'll probably I've had people say that they're like just publish your your Instagram page. I'm like, yeah, I probably should. So it's coming. It's 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 already written. It's just the time just has to collapse before it arriving okay. into the world. Yeah, that's where I'm at with a lot of things at the moment. Yeah. I'm just actually trying to collapse them permanently, some of them, so they never come back. Yeah. Well, the only permanence <laughs> is impermanence, right? So that's right. I didn't know that. <laughs> well, I appreciate you, Rod. All Thanks right. for today, man. And you. Thanks, Ishaga. Thanks.